0: Welcome to the Daily Theology Podcast, episode number 32. I'm your host, Stephen Oakey. Today's episode features my conversation with Jason King of St. Vincent College in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Jason and I had the opportunity to catch up at this past summer's College Theology Society annual meeting, and we talked about his recent book, Faith with Benefits. Uh, about the Catholic, about the hookup culture and Catholic campuses and what this means for Catholic identity. Uh, We also talk about how he got into doing moral theology, his background as a math major, uh, our mutual love of Star Wars, and all manner of great thing. So I hope you give it a listen. I hope you greatly enjoy it. Uh, I do also want to apologize for the long break between episodes in season three. I always anticipated it being a bit shorter, but You know, i got to be honest, the semester got away from me a little bit, so I'm going to attempt to make up for it by getting the next couple of episodes out very quickly. So we'll have one out next week, and then one out either right before or right after Thanksgiving. You can leave us reviews on iTunes. It'd be great for us if you could leave us a review there. You can also comment here on the blog. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at Daily Theo. You can find me at Stephen Okey. And as always, thank you so much for listening.
1: Today for the Daily Theology podcast, I'm here with Jason King, who's a professor of theology at Saint Vincent College in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks. Happy to be here. I wanted to ask you the same question I asked everyone else to start, which is, uh, how did you come to do theology? I was a math major in college, which, of course, <laughs> that leads
2: directly into theology. So was I. <laughs> oh, really? <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I was this uh, math major. I was in a complex analysis, which is... Uh, differential equations for imaginary numbers, and this professor did, spent this whole time period on the board, got to the end of it, and turned around, and I, I kid you not, he had tears in his eyes. And he was like, <laughs> isn't that the most beautiful thing
1: you've ever seen in your life? And I thought, I am not a math major. <laughs> so what? Wait, but why, why, so why were you a math major? Well, I
2: liked it. I liked it okay. because I could, I liked it, I could solve pro- – like, there's problems. There's clear rules, and you mm-hmm. can sort of come to solutions. And, and I found English and writing, of all things, very confusing to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't make it all sort of work. and uh, But math was very clear, and I could sort of understand it, and I could get stuff done. And I liked it. I liked it. But then I started to realize, like, I like it like solving a puzzle, which mm-hmm. is fun, except for if you imagine doing it, like, 40 to 50 hours a week, five mm-hmm. days. <laughs> A week 40 50 weeks a year like it's yeah. not that fun <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. and so I, I went around and and when I saw him like tearing up I'm like I just do not love it like that and uh, <laughs> I gotta find something else and and uh, I spent a year doing volunteer work in Chicago as the chapter one teacher kids behind math and reading and I was like what am I what do I like and what do I do and I found I was reading all these theology stuff outside mm. of class and so I it was a small Christian college so I had a lot of theology and philosophy background so I was like yeah, I'll go do theology that seems cool and so I applied a bunch of places Catholic University gave me a money and mm-hmm. so I went there yeah <laughs> Good reason. so it was yeah it was just I just stuff that I loved and then I as I the more I got into it the more I loved it and the more the more better I had these wonderful professors so I was like you gotta read this you gotta read that and the more I read the more exciting it became
1: so. what was the volunteer program in Chicago
2: is apostolic volunteers but now okay. it's the Dominican volunteers of USA and uh, I worked at St. Pius the fifth grade school okay so
1: and so, was it just what you were reading while you were hanging out doing that? Yeah, or?
2: well, I had a lot, like I said, I had a lot of philosophy and a lot of theology, and I was friends with. So I, I I played college soccer and this college soccer coach was this who grew, grew up in Peru whose parents were converting the Catholics to Christianity. Mm. <laughs> and good, yet, good work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he had came and and uh, he was like on the cusp and is now Catholic and was like you don't you, you need to learn your tradition because like, I didn't know mm-hmm. anything. I knew Jesus loved me and mm-hmm. and that's it right? (laughs) You've been raised Catholic? I've been raised Catholic. I mean, my joke is I'm a cradle Catholic who converted to Catholicism. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) (laughs) Because I grew up with wonderful parents, parents Catholic, raised Catholic, but I knew like absolutely Mm -hmm. nothing. It's like, you haven't done this, you haven't done that, you need to read Flannery O'Connor, you need to read Dorothy Day, you need to read all of these kinds of things. And he put me in touch with the people in the philosophy department. One was uh, like a biology major that had become a Catholic, a physics major that had become a uh, Lutheran minister. Now they were teaching there. And so I had a bunch of their classes just mm-hmm. randomly taking it. So afterwards when I was out volunteering, like I, all of those things that I'd read and then I was reading more and reading mm-hmm. more and just picking up more and more stuff. I think very to the splendor of the Pope's encyclical came mm-hmm. out and I got like this, I was really proud. It was like this eight and a half by 11 paint, you know, photocopied version of it that I thought was so cool. And I don't know if I don't remember anything about it, but I was just, you know, I was like, that's awesome. And I'm reading all of these things and, uh, and less and less interested in math. I didn't have any math books, mm-hmm. working out math problems on the side. So that's
1: what it was. And I thought, <laughs> well, I'll
2: apply and see what happens. And so I ended up, ended up there. Yeah, nice.
1: <laughs> so, what, what was your experience at Catholic University like? And what, like your, or focus or?
2: Yeah, like, uh, it, I, I wish I had a plan. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I got there and I like I like this class and I like this professor and I do this and I do that and and I spent three years. I don't think programs work like this anymore. But I was in, admitted in without any. Without a master's degree, I was admitted straight into the PhD program, wow. and they said, "Here's your here's your scholarship." In your first year, I didn't have any responsibility. Second year, I started being a TA. So between my second and third year of coursework, I flew in over the summer, took comps, I got my master's degree, did one more year of coursework, and then I was ABD, and then hmm. then and dissertation afterwards. And it was... Uh, so I... But what happened was I just took courses that I liked, courses that were interesting, and at that time, it's reorganized since it was the religion and religion education department. They encourage you to take stuff out of, out of the department. So okay. I took stuff in the philosophy department, on Aquinas, stuff in the theology department, on Christology. It was all over the place. And at the end, they're like, well, what's your field of study? I'm like, ah, uh, crap, I don't know. <laughs> so I had... Uh, just things that interesting. <laughs> just, that's pretty much it. They're like, yeah, I gotta come. up with a real category. It just can't be that. Book... Uh, <laughs> here's a bunch of books I read. <laughs> a friend of mine joked that his dissertation should have called like a bunch of books I read. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I felt like at the end of it. And
1: uh, I, I had a professor at Georgetown who, father King, and he he told this story once about like early on when he was teaching, he, he put the, built this class around like the books, like he was supposed to teach and everything. Mm-hmm. And at the end students were like, you really hated that one book, didn't you? Like, <laughs> you hated <laughs> teaching it. And after that, I just like I, he just made a syllabi of books he liked reading. Yeah, that's how it came together. <laughs> and those classes went better. So <laughs> yeah, it's so much better.
2: <laughs> so I ended up at the end of this. I had uh, I had taken a bunch of it's like what would be called systematics courses, a bunch of scripture courses, a bunch of courses on Lonergan because mm-hmm. there was a bunch of Lonerganian scholars there. And then I had this other category called religion and culture, which was like eh, stuff that didn't fit anywhere mm-hmm. else. And so that's so. At the end of that, I sort of pulled this out, and I, there was some stuff I li- really liked about Lonergan. He has a math background, so the way he framed issues, I really sort of connected with. And he had this idea of uh, like morals is not like these categories of uh, like Thomistic categories mm-hmm. of potency and act or like a natural law sort of categories, but emergent probability statistics. How do you ra- how do you make it? How do you raise the probability of things and lower mm-hmm. the probabilities of things? And the, the, the key that got me into this is Dorothy Day has this wonderful line like, "I just want to make the world a place where it's easier to be good." And that's mm-hmm. what I. That's the thing that I sort of thought. Well, here's a system where I can start to think about it. how does it become easier to be good? Mm-hmm. And, and so that was the piece that I that I dealt with. So I ended up doing my dissertation on Lonergan. Uh, so it, they were so they were at the time that the person in charge of it was Stephen Happel, was this wonderful person, and he was a pastor. He had like three, you know, I don't know he's just brilliant and, and, and attentive to students. And so he was like, yeah, it helped me, like, yeah, you got to organize something here. <laughs> and your wife, well, you thought about this and thought about that. So he sort of mentored me through that process. And he did this for a whole bunch of us. There's actually a whole bunch of us that come out of this Happel era. And he died suddenly. It was really sort of sad. So we sort of felt bereft uh, after mm. But he was very good and then sort of put me on this, the correct direction. Pu- helped me, Not put me on the correct direction, but helped me fa- find the direction I wanted to go in. So I did mm-hmm. my dissertation on Lonergan. But I remember I proposed the title. It ended up being, I said, oh, it's the role of feelings and moral decision-making according to Bernard Lonergan, SJ. Because it was how the feelings help to guide your sort of decision-making mm-hmm. process. He's like, take the word moral out. I'm like, well, why? He's like, because if the job is an ethics job, then you're a moral theologian, if it, if, and you do feelings and decision making and conscience. And if it's a systematics job, then you say, no, this is issues of grace and freedom. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a nice, brilliant movie. He's like, just whatever they ask you, can you, you do? Can you teach Sanskrit? I might have to brush up a little bit. Yeah,
1: sure, I can do whatever it was. <laughs>
2: So uh, so they helped me. Um, so he was very sort of instrumental in helping, helping okay. us. Out. The Catholic didn't have a lot of money,
1: and they didn't do a lot of networking afterwards, mm-hmm. but they were very kind when I was there. So did you, in that dissertation, I mean, was the sort of moral, theology, ethical question a big part of that question, or— was that, like, did you know, because that's kind of the direction you've gone since. Is yes. Is that, like, what you knew you wanted to do that? Like...
2: No, I, I did the stuff with Lonergan, and it was issue, he took these old categories of grace and freedom and sort of transposed them into, you know, contemporary psychology is, mm-hmm. is the easiest way to say it. But that got me thinking about how our feelings formed and mm-hmm. sort of the social context within those pieces. And that, that was sort of where I was interested in. But in the midst of this, two things happened that had really nothing to do with that. <laughs> as, uh, one as my f- friend Donna and I were like, she was dating someone and I was dating someone else. Um, I was dating the person who's now my wife. And we were like, there's no theology of dating. We should do theology of dating mm-hmm. stuff. And so we're like, hey, let's do this. it's presented present at the CTS. We we'll do paper on it. We presented a paper at it. And uh, someone from Crossroads was in there like, have you thought about a book on this? I'm like, no, let's do a book on this. <laughs> 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 and and so like random, like within like the span of like six months, we'd done a paper and then it got published in Horizons and then we did a book based on it. And then, and so like that sort of started both of our kind of trajectories mm-hmm. circulate, circulating around this kind of topic. So I that sort of ended mm-hmm. Fostered my moral theology perspective. And then I got invited to participate with this new wine, New Wineskins group, because it was headed up by David partly headed up by David McCarthy. Bill Madison, but also Mm -hmm. with David McCarthy, was one of the the key founders. And my friend Chris McMahon had taught at Mount St. Mary's. And David McCarthy said, do you know anyone that could come to this group? And he's like, hey, how about my friend Jason? And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, sure. (laughs) But it's all moral theologians. And so they sort of mentored me Mm -hmm. in that sort of field. And as a result of that, that's, that's how my work started developing. And then my first when I got into the first department, which was at Marymount, so my first job was at Marymount University for two years, uh, all the systematics pieces were taken up, and they're like, can you do this marriage, friendship, marriage, and God course, and can mm-hmm. you do the Catholic social ethics course? I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then my next job was like as a moral theologian, and then the next job was a moral theologian. Yeah. So I sort of, I really liked it because of the background, but I really ended up getting mentored in the discipline after mm-hmm. I finished my dissertation. Yeah. Because so, there wasn't a lot of moral theologians at St. Vincent, uh, at St. Vincent. Catholic U at the time. Yeah. Grabowski had just gotten hired, and Capizzi had just gotten hired. And, yeah, I think that's it, it. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I, I mean, I teach a lot of ethics, and not because not I, like, really love ethics. <laughs> I was like, that's what, the, that's what my department needed. So yeah. I, I, I could do it. So, I, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's how I got to do it. This actually leads me to one of my other questions, which is, you have a recent book out, the Faith with Benefits yep. book. Hookup up culture on Catholic campuses. Hmm. And, and, I mean, this seems like following in that trajectory of, like, love, dating, family, relationships, like that kind of question. Yeah. One, I, I guess I'm curious, like, what was it that inspired you or pushed you to write this book and and the interest in it? Mm-hmm. Like, I'll, I'll start with that, I guess. Okay. Two, two
2: things. Uh, it, one is, because I taught the marriage course, and I just – students – I teach the marriage course, but it's really like how to have good relationships kind of course. Like mm-hmm. I, it's, it's more like I, I, one of the things I lead with is communication. Like you got to talk about conflicts and, mm-hmm. and address those kinds of things. So I'm just really trying to – how do you have flourishing sort of relationships? Because a lot of these students just feel like they don't have any sort of tools. I don't know how to ask people. I still carry a Cronin's assign, dating assignment. Sure. Like you have to go out on a date and, yeah. and they were all like – what (laughs) thanks terrified and awesome at the same time Mm -hmm. and then get them to start to think about it and get them to think about sort of their culture so part of that was like i just saw this environment that i had really i had really good relationships in college Mm -hmm. great people smart people and i'm like you should have that too
0: (laughs) why is that not happening
2: (laughs) so that was part of the part of the issue like how do you help them to understand what's going on and why how can you better have what you want that, that, that was part of it as well. And then the other piece was that all of the initial research that had come out on Hookup Culture on Catholic campuses said it's it's the same as everybody else. As matter of fact, being Catholic might make it worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, But as I looked at that data, like it was very small sample size, and it was both sort of schools in the Northeast, which mm-hmm. have a particular kind of character, and the numbers of students were very sort of minimal. And I was like... At that time, the more impeterate book, Catholic Higher Education, came out, and I was like, oh, there's different models of mm-hmm. Catholic higher education. I think there's some limits to that, because they do definitely, like, higher-level administration's perspective yeah. on it. So I was definitely trying to figure out from the bottom up, like, mm-hmm. what students thought about it. Um, but there wasn't any of that, and I'm like, those two things need to sort of come together. So, And I had done some background work and like, thing, relationships, friendship kind of pieces, and then I had this sort of need to the students coming there, and I thought, well, let's just sort of see what happens. And so I just sort of plowed ahead and— Donna gave me some encouragement. She's like, you need to do this. And so I was like,
1: all right, I can do that. Do you, like, when you, when you teach that class, right, yeah. like, are, I mean, is it the kind of class where, like, there's a waiting list to get in because students really want to do it? Is it the kind of class where, like, yeah. students are super uncomfortable and awkward about it? Like, No, they, I, I, I it's always filled.
2: So they care about it. <laughs> like, they want to get, they're like, "The uh, marriage matters. So they're mm-hmm. they're sort of interesting. So I have a good kind of reputation. So it's pretty full. All the time, it, they're waiting. I could probably run two courses on it. Just a lot of students a lot of good students, a lot of students that care about it. Mm. Yeah. So it's. What was the last part of? Your, I'm trying to remember. What,
1: well, also one of like, I mean, yeah. I, I guess comfort or like or, oh, yeah, or openness yeah, yeah. or like how so th- how so they respond like in the class. They eh?
2: they so they are. We have three requirements in the core too. So mm-hmm. like I have a and I've been there for a while. So like oh this is what Dr. King's like, and so I get <laughs> students that like me, and the students that don't like me sort of avoid me. <laughs> So and I, and I just run – uh, you have to talk in my class, and that's just the way it sort of mm-hmm. works. And, and I give them – I give quizzes to make sure they read the material, but then I'm like, we're talking about it and sort of breaking this down. So they're really sort of willing to participate, and they really want to ask questions. And it's really great. And then this last semester, which is very typical, we were talking about sex, and they were like – suddenly got quiet. And I'm like, what's going on? Are you all embarrassed? Or <laughs> you all don't know what's happening? And they're like, we're embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, – which just makes me like – be more graphic and prodding them, <laughs> trying to like, because then they can say things because it feels more modest about it. You this say way. something, or I'll keep going. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> don't judge. Going to stop, <laughs> and I have a good rapport by that time at the classes. So like, it's they are they, and I. There's like three classes that I do that are really sort of. I have a lot of success, at, and I, all of them, I think, are because the students are come into the class before I've said or done anything, but, and they care about it. And one is this marriage class. The other class I do is God. It's called God, Work, and Money, which is Catholic social teaching on economics, but also you have a major and you want a job. Why do you want that? Mm-hmm. And try to get them give them some time and space to reflect upon this. It's a Catholic school. I feel like you should think about what you want to do with your life. Uh, and the other one is uh, Aliens, Heroes, Monsters, and Jesus. I have that on my <laughs> list of questions. So I... <laughs> and, and, but it's... <laughs> Things and culture that they care about, and they want yeah. to talk about it. So those are the kind of cor- so they come into those courses, both my reputation and those topics, and it, they, we just go, and it's a they, we have a great time, and, and they're usually almost always participating. And then when they don't, then I just say ridiculous stuff. They-
1: I mean, are they are they prepared for those for those courses to be like? Hard work in a certain sense, or they're looking for like, oh, it's a class on aliens. Like this shouldn't be too bad.
2: <laughs> they they you would think so, except for like I I I think I'm a really easy grader, but my reputation is that I'm a very difficult grader. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I do very early on, I actually keep track of participation. Like I'll make marks afterwards, and then about two weeks in I'll post participation grades and they're always like twenty percent, ten percent. They're like, Oh crap, <laughs> I have to say something. Like, it's really great. And I just really grading that do no matter how much I tell them, they're like that. But then afterwards and they're like, Oh I need to sort of participate, yeah. and so it sort of feeds on in one another. So they sort of know the levels of work, and then as the semester goes on, I'll kind of ease up on them as well. Mm-hmm. But they're usually, they they usually they know they're going to work, but they also know that I these are things that are going to be important for them. Mm-hmm. So I try not to give them anything that's sort of fluff or mm-hmm. or um, anything that's not going to be useful.
1: So. With the the student body that you have. Like I I don't know in terms of Saint Vincent, like Mm -hmm. like how Catholic it is percentage wise or how kinda catechized it is or whatnot, but are the the students who are coming to these classes are they mostly Catholic? Are they raised Catholic? Are they like active practicing Catholic? Like what's the they are all Catholic, they come from
2: Catholic parents and I always say they're like Yeah yeah, Jesus is pretty cool. I like Jesus. That's about it. They go to church they like church they like family stuff they you know they like pierogies mm-hmm. on fat tuesday and mm-hmm. so it's a very i think it's like catholicism is nice and friendly and that's why i like it so there's the but the intellectual formation and like some of these kind of questions uh, when you start pushing them those those are rough for them because it's it is a kind of more of a background piece and so if yeah. you start pushing or challenging a little bit they get nervous on a personal level mm-hmm. and so I try to negotiate that in ways where they can like the, the God Work and Money course like I draw in Appalachia is such a poor area they had and it's chronically poor systematically poor so mm-hmm. like where if I just start with Catholic social teaching and structural injustices they're like oh that sounds like Crazy liberals talk, and mm-hmm. I don't want that. But like, as soon as you like, yeah, this is your parent. Why are your parents poor? They're poor because of this, these reasons, mm-hmm. these structural sort of pieces. And then you can give them, gives them the tools to start thinking a little bit more deeply about mm-hmm. those kinds of kinds of issues. So, so they are they are Catholic, and like Catholicism, but they don't
1: usually know their catechesis is, is sort of thin. Mm-hmm. I guess I would sort of say. So How has. In in doing the the research for this book, like I know I know you did a lot of mm-hmm. survey work and, yeah. and that kind of thing, and I, I have I, I guess Which I, is a pain yeah regardless. I, well yeah, <laughs> and, and so I have a selfish question about like what what's it like doing that when I'm assuming that's kind of out of your comfort zone
0: yeah
2: I uh, the math background helped a little bit because yeah. I could
1: do stats pieces but I I had to like
2: there's I had a, a stats guy in the site department helping me out, a, a numbers two numbers guys in the econ department that were helping me work. They said I was having to double-check mm-hmm. everything. And then having to run through, like, every campus has a different process, and you have to have someone on the ground oh, the that's IRB. able to get the IRB. Yeah. And sometimes, you like, that wasn't Sometimes they would expedite sometimes they wouldn't, and sometimes you would have to, like, sort of send them all of your credentials for your IRB to make sure they were federally certified. I don't, I don't think that's a Jeez. word, but, yeah, so – and then, so like one place I went to, is, uh, someone was really helpful. She's like, da, da, da. she's like, all right, I'll check it in. How can I can do it. And she had to before she could have run a study. She had to complete seventy hours of like video training before she could like deploy a survey. So mm-hmm. she's like. I'm like, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> it's dead <that's> fine. <laughs> some people, like some places, the registrar administered these things because mm-hmm. it's soliciting sort of students. So, like, it was very it's very nerve wracking because you always felt like you're not, you had to depend upon other people and you didn't want to get them in trouble. And they also required sort of work. And then when you got the information, you're like, uh, all right, is this good? Is this bad? And, yeah. And, but,
1: uh, I mean, it's hard to finish. How, like, how yeah. long did
2: it take to. So to col- just collect the data. I mean, so twenty. Uh, did, did a survey design fall of 2012, Did ran the survey twenty thirteen? Got those initial results, and that was the big kind of quantitative sort of survey with like a thousand students uh, over a thousand students. And then when you did that, then I had to sift that data out, and this is where you get um, you sort of from from the bottom up, there's like sort of three kinds of Catholic mm-hmm. sort of cultures on camp. From the students' perspective, three kind of Catholic cultures. And then once you get that, then I had to go back to some of these institutions and did like a sample of two of each kind mm-hmm. with a more qualitative survey. And then that helped me to also target then students I could interview. So it was okay. like a um, mixed method survey is what mm-hmm. they sort of call it. So that that so 2012, 2013, and then 20 then another sort of design in the fall of 2013, and then the quantitative interviews uh, spring of 2014 and sort of a follow-up mm-hmm. year of trying to write it and put it all together. Yeah, that was, that was, I don't know. Don't go back there. <laughs> so, you, so you're in a rush to do it again, is what yes, you're saying. exactly. <laughs> I like the books where I just
1: make up stuff that I say out of my head, I'm thinking this today. <laughs> uh, my, my other question is, I, I, I'm curious, you know, I mean, you, you've been writing on material, like related mm-hmm. material for a while. You've been teaching you know these classes for a while mm-hmm. and whatnot, and I'm curious... In doing the research and the survey and the analysis and all that for this project, mm-hmm. uh, how has that shaped or affected your, your view of your students, your relationship with your students? Mm-hmm. Uh, has it affected how you teach? Um, it, it has caused me to have more empathy for them. Like I
2: feel like I've, I've got a better grasp of the social forces they're contending with that shape they don't determine their decisions, but shape their decisions. Mm-hmm. And it and the 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 image that I keep that I operate with now is that you've got just this. The culture culture is like a like a current that goes, and you can swim against the current, but you, it's really tough to do this mm-hmm. for a while. And it's easier to go along with it. So you can see how that that current can start to sh- raise raise the chances that right? certain kinds of decisions are being made, and yeah. and that if you swim against it, there's certain costs that come mm-hmm. along with it, and so trying to under helping to understand like those forces and then how students when they do make decisions for or against it and current can be it can be, ideally right that current should be leading in the right direction mm-hmm. so it's very easy to be good and some and sometimes it is and sometimes it in relationships i don't especially with hookup culture i don't think it helps them very much i think they have to like swim they end up they don't they don't want to swim usually upstream it's really difficult you're socially ostracized so i just swim backstream so you sort of like swim across the stream <laughs> and try to yeah. change and transform it um and so i have a lot of sympathy for them like how do you find sort of relationships there's a great interview one of the interviews i had was this really like home he's like prom king on the on his campus like he's a really like he's a california surfer surfer mm-hmm. guy and uh he had this great little interview he's like yeah i just get in there i know i'm supposed to sort of hook up and i know i'm not supposed to sort of care but i do and so what i try to do is make sure i'm don't put myself in situations to, to to where I have to live up to that expectations. Mm-hmm. And so he was just really trying. He knew that it would be very easy for him to hook up and not care about sort of anybody, and he didn't want to do that. But yet he was also trying to find, struggling to find ways in which he could sort of live up with those kind of things. Yeah. And I have a lot of so I don't know, usually I have a lot of sympathy for like prom kings and queens. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like oh okay yeah I like – I understand why you're sort of jerky sometimes. <laughs> he wasn't, but like that—that that, so that has a lot of empathy. But then it also that when I'm teaching, then I I can help them understand their own decisions because yeah. sometimes they're like, "Why did I do that?" And I because I don't think that and I don't want to do that. And I'm like, "Well, and that's not the discussion I would have in class." I'm like, "We're talking about these social forces," and they're like. Oh, that's like this, and they can sort of connect to that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, provides provide, I think, tools to help them understand the, yeah. the sources that are there. So.
1: Yeah, and they can. I know one thing I often struggle with with students, especially in ethics classes, are when they they think of decisions as just discrete things that are their control. Yeah, and 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 especially when they when they're judging someone else's decisions, right? <laughs> like, like like just do it or don't do it, or, yeah. or or whatever it is. And there's not as much of a sense of yeah, like that, like like that, that probabilistic mm-hmm. image and virtue of like if you're if, if you're an honest person it doesn't mean you're never gonna lie. You're no. just yeah. probably <laughs> not gonna lie. Uh, there's, or there's only <laughs> a few situations within which you're gonna yeah, lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you're you're disposed in a certain <laughs> way. But you know. and so and like and, and it. I mean, the image that always helps with students for that is I, I like. Probably every other semester, I have a basketball player in my class, and mm-hmm. I'll ask them, "Is like how how many free throws a day do you shoot?" He's like, "I shoot about a hundred free throws." And I was like, "Well, what's your percentage?" He's like, it's ninety two. It's like, there you go. Like, mine's like twelve. I don't shoot any free throws. <laughs> like, I, so it's uh, not that you're never gonna miss, but like most of the time, we can count on you to put it in the basket. So,
0: <laughs> but but yeah, that kind of
1: yeah.
2: like, and that, but that's helpful. Like that image, yeah. like thing that you can talk about, like how, why. Why are certain things difficult? Why Mm -hmm. is it sort of... I do this with, like, papers. I'm like, I you should revise your paper like seven, eight times. And they're like, what? Yeah. But I just wrote it. <laughs> and to try to get them but then that sort of movement, like what? Are, how is it that you're formed over the course of time mm-hmm. and, and here, what are the challenges that you're, you're going to face and, yeah. and what kind of person that you want to become. So yeah. the, mu- the music metaphors and the sports metaphors are, I think are money because mm-hmm. they both capture that piece. Like you got to keep on mm-hmm. at, you know, working at these kinds of pieces in order to sort of live these things out. So, yeah. And we have tons of athletes and then a lot of musicians too.
1: Yeah, the, and I, I think that I can usually get them to the point of accepting something like the idea of formation as, as, a, as a real thing yeah. right like that that exists and it has affected you know how I do what I do and whether I'm good at it and all that and getting the like further step of your formation has n- never been entirely under your control yeah and 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 I don't say that to like excuse you so it's nothing that your fault or hmm. or whatnot but like y- how you were raised like you don't like that's in there like yep. what your culture's doing that's in there mm. yeah
2: um and it's hard for them to i like even if you what i find too is that even if when you introduce that and they discuss like you have the class and they're discussing like yeah 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 then the next class they'll be back to like mm-hmm. yeah where i was before like i still <laughs> be making choices like, <laughs> how do you like there's a kind of inertia sometimes <laughs> you're like all right, we did this, and we're going to do it again, and we're going to do it again. So that's another way I think it helps my teaching, like I, to think of teaching as like forming intellectual habits, which mm-hmm. means you have to do like these repetitive kind of small steps in order to form those habits of of thinking. And that's a, I keep on sort of adjusting the course, try to do that a little bit better. Yeah. So
1: what? So uh, uh, continuing on teaching, like what is it that you think? I don't know how to, how to put this. This isn't going to make you feel like you're on the spot. Uh, <laughs> what What is it that makes you a good teacher? Like, mm. what are your strengths? What are your, like, I don't know, particular gifts in terms of teaching mm. that you think are translating well in the classroom that are getting, these classes are filling up and, yeah. and whatnot? Well, I... I So one of the things I picked up from being a math major
2: is, right, you get to do problem sets, and those problem sets then build up to, like, more complex problems. And thinking about that, and then you're trying to grasp a concept that's actually behind these problems. Mm -hmm. And that framework I take to theology, like, let's break this stuff down into small tasks and let us you do this task, and then let's do a little bit more complex tasks. And hopefully then this is going to get to these deeper issues about Mm. how you're thinking about this whole piece whether mm-hmm. it's your work or it's your marriage or, or relationships or whether it's the culture that's sort of forming you um, so I like that s- structure of thinking I think is a, a is one that they uh, respond to I think I remember teaching being a ta and like running a discussion group and I forget what we were talking about like the you know, like the two-source theory of the Gospels, or you know, the Q, yeah, the Q and Mark as the primary mm-hmm. sources, and I thought this was like the awesomest stuff ever. And the <laughs> students are like, "Oh God, when is this ending?" And I'm like, "Why is this boring?
0: This should not be boring."
2: <laughs> and so, I, from that point, I started thinking, like, what, how you can't sort of lead with that. Like, they don't know mm-hmm. why should I care about the fact that the Synoptic Gospels have two sources. Like, the, mm-hmm. that for them, it just didn't really register at all. Some of them are like, "There's, there's." Four gospels, are you sure? <laughs> like, I, I know this one. <laughs> so trying to engineer the course like what's what's your driving question? Like mm-hmm. why should you care about this stuff? And there's this great book by Ken Bain called What the Best College Teachers Do. Mm. And he calls it the uh, Why Give a Damn principle. Like mm. every class you should be able to answer Hopefully students don't ask this every class, but every class you should be able to give the answer, why should I give a damn about this stuff? Mm-hmm. And that's the piece that I feel like I try to be very attentive to. Like, why do you, why should you care about this sort of issue? Mm-hmm. And if I can articulate that, or, and if they sense it, is, I guess is sort of better it, then then most of my work is almost already done because mm-hmm. like, they're already like trying to think about those pieces. So if I can structure it in ways and anchor it in that kind of question, those are the two things I, I, I feel like I do well. I can be nice and still demanding of them, too, and they don't feel like I'm being judgmental. So mm-hmm. I built in all these little structures of, of uh, letting them sort of revise pieces. Uh, th- one of the jokes – so I give these – it's a different kind of exercise. But before every class, they have to take little quizzes on the mm-hmm. readings, so they come prepared. And, I'm, and every time – a lot, a lot of them are true-false, and I'm like, I, I, you can argue any one of those questions. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care. Like, ar- argue with me. I said, because if you do, I win. Like if because if you're if you if you're smart enough to argue that you should get a credit for this question, <laughs> you understand the text and you understand the question, and that's all the whole point of this thing. And you win. <laughs> and I have students that like test. I have students that'll test me out. Like I got this question wrong, but I think it's right for these reasons. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that's good. I get points. Right. And then suddenly, like they got like three or four more, four or five, mm-hmm. six. And I'm just like, yeah, like like fine about this. But it, then they start to realize, like, yeah, the point is not for me to like penalize. The, the grade on the quiz is not a cut judgment about your intellect. It's a process to try to form you to think more clearly. And if mm-hmm. you can tell me why you answered it the way you were, you're showing me you understood the text. Mm-hmm. That's the whole purpose of it. So trying to build like little exercises and like that. Would they have a little bit more freedom over their grade? Yeah. So... So those are the kind – that way I can demand more of them. I'm like, yeah, you,
1: well, you had your chance to argue yeah.
2: this great if you don't think it's sort of fair. And then mm-hmm. you
1: sort of come back at that. So. How do you – so you build in revision. Like, how do you manage that? Like, <sighs> yeah. Because I, I, I tried to do that this year with one of my classes with a couple assignments. And it definitely made a difference, like, how much I encouraged them to revise. Like, that yeah. was a big part of it. Mm-hmm but it is also i mean it is time
0: consuming so, he, so here's
1: my trick for this cuz it is you can kill yourself cuz uh, especially
2: if you have like i'm or i teaching college so mm-hmm. I, you know I'm pushing 100 120 students a semester i do this on essay exams and uh, papers and i'm like so here's your grade and i'll make at the end of this like three global comments and you know i'll make little uh, diachronic marks in the in the text itself when i'm like here's your grade if you want to revise it you have to turn it in in one week you Turn in the old copy and the new copy, and you get five extra points. That's all you can do. And so all I do when I get the revision, I don't reread the revision. I just like, did you respond? Did you respond? Did you respond? So in a f- two things that work with that. So in effect, I'm just basically giving them five points to read my comments. Mm-hmm. And then the next paper usually is better because they've engaged those comments and worked with them as well. Mm. And then they'll even read the comments to see if they want to do the revision. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I get them a habit of reviewing those kinds of things. So they can only earn sort of five points. So that's one piece of it. I'm basically giving, giving an incentive to, like, read the comments and consider revising them based on that. So it's not a perfect revision. but yeah. And then it also cuts down my work. All I have to do is, like, check, check like, those things. did yeah. you do those kinds of things. And if there's usually sort of a big, if there's a big global issue, that might take time. But most of them are, like, um, tweaking the thesis statement and mm-hmm. the stuff that's going on. But then I also usually anchor, then, my grades to give them an incentive, like, Oh, this is an 86. Uh-huh. If you do a five, you <laughs> yeah. might get a ninety-one, yeah, yeah. or it's a seventy-seven. Mm-hmm. It actually frees me up to give a little bit more honest grades mm-hmm. because then if it's like, oh, this is a C plus paper, and more of like, oh, well, maybe it's a B minus, but I'm like, here's it's a C plus. Yep. And you can get five more points, and you're mm. here to B minus. And so then it sort of gives it's a way them a better system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, I, but then like my second revision is just like I'm just going through to make sure mm-hmm. that they sort of have those. Do they respond to these comments? I'm very clear about like you get five points for responding to these comments. Mm-hmm. So the trick is then on the other end I'll say like if you want me to read something ahead of time I'll do that too and I'll yeah. have some that pick up on that and that's a little bit more cumbersome because then I read that one give comments then I have to read it again fully but the yeah. revision process at the end is much more
1: yeah I like I'll tell them uh, uh, I, even like whether it's for a weekly paper that they have to do like a short thing or a longer thing Is like look like come to me I will read a thesis statement I'll read an outline I'll read a paragraph I'll read two sentences that you worked out like I don't care I'll read the whole thing I don't yeah. care just bring it and I'll do it and it's a tiny fraction that ever end up taking advantage of it and
2: yeah that's the case i think with like the initial sort of offers i give mm-hmm. but the revision like it's usually like three-fourths. Cause, oh wow yeah cuz okay. they and they will come back and okay. and uh and it's helpful like they just they and it's helpful like the second or the third paper the second and third exam they're usually much much especially my freshmen we have three exams and by the third exam they're like I know I've got to have these three things in there. And mm-hmm. so they're very intentional about getting that stuff yeah. done. So. And then I, it also feels like they don't feel like the grade is so much like this ju- just abstract judgment from nowhere, but like, oh, there's a system to this and I can earn stuff and I have some say over the things that I do. So it gives them some. It's argue, like One of the reasons why I like arguing over those true false exams is like, this is your course. You need to care. You need to decide mm-hmm. if you care about learning or not. Yeah. And they will sort of fight <laughs> for that. <laughs> And at the end of the – I probably shouldn't say this. Well, maybe don't want to listen to me. Um, but it's like the, the points are like minuscule. Like you're fighting over like 0.01% of your final grade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like am yeah. like, yeah, I'll give you that anytime you want if, Yeah, if, if you're fighting over
1: yeah. it. Yeah, and it's always so disappointing, like the end of semester emails. <laughs> like, what can I do to get to the B minus? And it's like, you. well, we had these extra credit things you could have done. Mm-hmm. We had these revisions that you didn't when, do. And like, this,
2: the, those built-in processes in the beginning, like I cut that off. I'm like, no, you had these sort of chances mm-hmm. and – we're done now like i'm not doing kind of extra sort of pieces to
1: yeah that. and um i've moved to the only extra credit i will give now is uh in some classes i'll give a quiz on the syllabus that they tell them is coming like the like, oh, the, yeah. like the second day and i give them a quiz i don't tell them it's extra credit but they, it's like you can have the syllabus in front of you but like you don't have time to read it and answer that and whatever they get on that after that i was like that's your extra credit like that's it mm-hmm. and I, I worked well this last semester oh yeah so i might stick with that I read Freakonomics. Did you ever read Freakonomics? Mm-hmm. The thing that I always take, take away
2: from that book is it's just like how what. how is your cl- classroom... This is not what he talked about, what I got from that, because he focused on incentives and how incentives sort of direct behaviors. And so I started thinking about my class. Like, how is my class structured? What is it trying to foster? And so mm-hmm. I keep tweaking it to try to make sure it's fostering the kinds of things that i yeah. need to foster and so any kind of trick that you can come everybody's yeah. got I mean, it's so interesting to it, over the people's kind of tricks like how do you sort of move yeah, yeah. along <laughs> well and the
1: other piece of it right and like this is one of my like ever evergreen questions which is like how do you balance you know how do you juggle all the balls between between writing and, and survey research and and finishing oh, yeah. the book and teaching and family and all sort of stuff and oh. like i i had these great ideas this last year about how to have better assignments that more got the things that I want. And I did not at all account for the extra amount of work that they were going to take. And, and so in a way like the incentive, it was better for the student and they got some more stuff out of certain things, but then like, it burned me out. Yeah, and, and then you're not as effective a teacher. Yeah. And you do need
2: to read. I mean, I teach in college too, but you, you've got to be engaged. And if mm-hmm. you're not in the field, what happens is you burn out and then you're not interested in the classroom. And if you're not interested, there's no way your students are going to be interested in that. Yeah. And, so, and like, there's so many interesting things that come out. You're like, oh, you should read this and you should read that. And you can take those into the classroom. And so, uh, yeah, I, I that's, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, like my, my big speech is like, how do you get so much done? And I'm like, well, well, all my kids are in school now. so I, I yeah. <laughs> magic (laughs) it's not something i did so (laughs) so i don't know i don't know that's 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 always a tough question
1: yeah and then i think about like there's this i so as as background to this i hope this point will make sense but the last like two years i've been giving like talk after talk or talk at parishes about Mm lodato C because They want to hear about the encyclical and Pope Francis, and they love it and they bring oh, yeah. the, and they're
2: all you know they're all very
1: excited about it,
2: and that leads you to your next talk your next
1: talk right right, right, right yeah. yeah yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. I, like good, I got good. my little side gig going and <laughs> that's awesome and i i i found you know so often one of the questions that I get is like you know like what are the what are the things that we should be doing, what are the techniques that we can have to make this all better and they're they're basically asking for like environmental life hacks like that's what they're asking oh, for yeah, right yeah yeah and 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 uh, there's this point in the encyclical that I love that I keep like bringing back to them, which is the point of this encyclical is not life hacks. And it's not about like the new recycling program or whatever else. Like, like those are great. Like you want to recycle. I'm not never going to stop you on that. Right. Yeah. 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 (laughs) But it's, it's not like finding the new thing that will allow me to keep doing the old thing. It's the conversion of heart Mm. and (laughs) trying to be, trying to just be a better person or, or like be a, be a more attentive teacher or a more consistent writer or whatever else. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's the hacks thing. There's the, like, I can't tell you the number of different timers that I have tried to improve my writing. Uh, Right. But like the underlying issue is not like, Oh, I need a better timer. It's yeah. Well, this is, uh, when I
2: started doing the blog for Catholic moral theology, like it was like, Oh, okay. This is like a commitment and I have sort of responsibilities for it. And, even, like, if I didn't have any ideas, I was like, oh, i got to get this sort of mm-hmm. stuff done. And, and then I just started to realize, one, that discipline helped me practice to get writing done, but the other one was like, yes, you just got to write. Mm-hmm. And that... It, for me that was unlocking this like oh it's gotta be i don't know if i can do this i'm just like yeah just write yeah (laughs) and so that was like i just sort of like yeah just go and so that was the that was it was not like it was it was it's your point like it wasn't a life hack like it wasn't Mm -hmm. like i got this like little trick now Mm -hmm. i can do and now i can write it was just more this conversion of how i was looking at writing yeah that i can like yeah and if i I can do that, and then I can tinker with it and go back and forth and and just ways in which I can start to think about this not as, like, this big, looming kind of assignment, but, like, oh, that's – I was thinking that, and I I should write that down to make sure, and then I can start to build up this Mm -hmm. way so it became a little bit more – part of of my thinking and writing and sort of by think, my thinking and trying to put those things into words yeah so it was but it was like definitely like a conversion it wasn't like a, my life hack is not go start go start writing for a blog in addition right. to everything else that you're doing yeah no yeah and I,
1: I, I so i was listening to this this comedy podcast a couple of months ago and he was interviewing these these two guys who were writers and one of them he started teaching like a writing for comedy a writing for sitcoms kind of class or what well, I don't remember the exact structure. but he said for his first day, it was like a three hour, once a week class for eight weeks or something. Right. And for the first day of class, he had them come in and then he didn't teach at all. He just said, all right, start writing. And they wrote for three hours. Like that was the first day of class. <laughs> and at the end, like when time was up and he sent them out, he's like the difference between wanting to be a writer and being a writer is sitting and writing for three hours, even when you don't want to. <laughs> I was like, "Damn it!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want the life hack. I, went I know, life... right? Yeah. Like, that's, that's not what I want to hear right now, but it's what I need to hear right now. Like, I
2: actually, uh, this is only t- slightly. I actually like listening comedians talk about their sets yeah. and how they craft it mm-hmm. over the time. I and mean, they said, like, you meant to make it look natural, but actually, it takes a lot of work, and you test out jokes, and I forget. Oh, I'm blanking on his name. Master of None. He's the guy that's oh, doing it. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, um Aziz. He, Aziz, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he also wrote a book like Modern Romance. There's a lot of interesting things about it. But he said he like he was at this comedy club where like Chris Rock showed up and he's all excited and Chris Rock did this terrible set. And he's like, Yeah, that's 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 what you want to see. Like not because like, oh, he can be bad, but like you see him like it's a craft that you need to sort of develop, mm-hmm. and you're taking risks. And if you're not taking risks, then, like, yeah, it's pretty safe, but you're not doing anything new. And so that, like, development of sort of ideas takes time. You just yeah. sort of experiment. Like, nah, I, so what? That sucks. It doesn't matter. Yeah, sort of keep on working about it and getting that sort of shift, and, like, not everything has to be perfect.
1: Yeah. All. Where I actually – why I decided to start doing this podcast was I listen to Nerdist a lot. Oh, yeah. Right? And, like, wh- like, his, like he never puts it this way, but, like, the questions he asks are – Essentially, like craft and vocation, like like why like why are you doing what you're doing and how is it that you do that and a lot of it's also like riffing and goofing around and stuff Mm -hmm. too. But like those are the really the questions and and like same thing like listening to someone talk about like the 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 details of how they manage doing the thing they have to do, like that's why part of why I do this is like to reflect on like what am I doing, Mm -hmm. why am I doing it, and how can I be doing it better. Yeah.
2: So well, I did this, and I just think like every year I'm learning something new. I did a course, and it's terrible this year's on the ethics of Aquinas. I'm a long story about why I did that one. Um, <laughs> I just. Uh, but one of the things I did was I I said we're gonna one of the your papers gonna be like a Thomas kind of question, mm-hmm. and so like I had them like tell me what your big question is, and then the next assignment was like tell me the five questions that you need to answer to answer this question, and then the next assignment was like give me your resources for these things like you're sort of, mm-hmm. and so like but then i started to realize like this is actually a really nice way to get them to a concrete thesis f- not just for thomas right but to, for any kind of papers and i'm like oh i got to find so the course was a bomb but i'm like oh this is a good strategy i can, <laughs> I, can I can i can sort of do cuz of the day like this is uh, i saw box but like in the day everyone's like yeah we should learn aquinas but when you start learning aquinas is really dull right mm-hmm. I mean, you're yeah. trying to get like the, the six motions of
1: the will to mm-hmm. to action they're like I don't care. It's just not. It's just not in the like world view of now. Yeah, and so it's yeah. hard. Like I, I mean, even <laughs> the parts that are great, it's hard to like. Yeah, you got to like do and... so
2: many moves to get it to be mm-hmm. relevant. So they sort of like Thomas and theory. Yeah.
1: So but I
2: got that assignment out of there. And I'm like, ooh, I'm gonna, I don't know how it's gonna come out, but I got this little like thing nice. that I'm gonna like work on. If them. I can ask, why the class bomb? One precisely like the material is tough mm-hmm. and. Like, the general framework of Aquinas is pretty interesting, like this desire for God and this moving from potency to act. And But then when you're getting to, like, like his his psychological categories, those aren't, like, they get will sort of will and intellect and passions, but how they sort of interact is yeah. not sort of that very interesting. For it's pretty abstract, and the, the, exa- the few examples he gives are not related to their life. And so then we would talk about stuff related to their life, and I'd bring it back to the text, and they'd be like, ugh. So <laughs> it was just, like, the, trying to get the... Trying to get the, it was so technical. I guess is the way to do it. Yeah, that. It's so technical. Okay. And then that was the half of it. And the other half was that it's this. It was this funny time period, twelve thirty to one forty-five on Monday, oh, yeah. Friday for our yep. classes. So this was the class where everybody else that got blocked out of every other class took that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it was this. I had this crew of guys in the back corner who were wonderful. Uh, uh, aj gene tim and uh, uh, but they were this crew in the back and they were just hilarious because they <laughs> they sort of liked aquinas so like, this is the dumbest stuff i've ever heard in my life and so they were just like stuff <laughs> and see where i would go with it so mm-hmm. it was just fun like kind of game but so the class was so they just it was just the technical pieces yeah. and the kind of like it wasn't like the marriage class where they invested in it they're like i don't really care what aquinas says i like you yeah. and i like
1: the class yeah and so
2: it wasn't like they weren't hostile they was just like I, I just don't care. And, and so it, that who gives a damn question, I didn't answer well.
1: Okay, yeah. And it's it's so hard with him uh, like, and and others who do kind of similar things for the people to get the, like, he doesn't think this part. He thinks this part. Yeah. And, like, you're reading a thing, and it's like, how does he hold all these things? He's like, well, he doesn't, but that's because this is not written for the way that yeah. you read. And, like, I, whenever I have, like, sections on Aquinas in a class, I do. They're like, look, like, I want you to imagine that, like, objection 1 this is what jim thinks and objection 2 is what sally thinks yeah. and aquinas is responding to those people right so like you be those people but even that like it works when you're in the classroom and then they go and read and it's just like they just zoom yeah. through it like they read anything else and
2: yeah when I mean, there's there's some pieces that are really important there so it's very good to teach the class but i i don't i'd don't, have to think of i really have to think about how i'm going to do that again although i took consolation cuz I'm, I used to be chair. I'm not chair anymore. So the woman who's chair of the department <laughs> was now. that the consolation? <laughs> i not being chair anymore. <laughs> I'm not being chair anymore. No, the consolation is I went to her and I said, yeah, I just like I this class sucks." And she's she's like, it's, "It's hard to teach like one person." I teach Paul, and by the end I'm like, "I don't care about Paul." <laughs> <laughs> that's reassuring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's yeah, like, yeah, "Paul's great,"
1: but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it
2: is. So yeah, I was like, okay. Well.
1: We're good. <laughs> That's helpful. And, and that like structure for questioning for an assignment yeah, there, is really some Yeah, key,
2: there's some concepts in there that are pretty interesting. There's some ways in which you can start to think methodologically about it. So I, I'd have to retool it in some way. because I, I don't have that answer, like, why should you study Thomas? I like, I need to answer that question myself. Like, yeah. Why do I want to be sort of invested in it? And I think the reasons that I went into this were – the reasons I went into the – St. Vincent's a funny place about sort of what constitutes sort of Catholicism and our philosophy department were doing, like – they were doing Aquinas, and mm-hmm. so everybody was like, oh, that's the, that's the real department. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, F that. Like, I'm the real department. <laughs> I'm going to do Aquinas. <laughs> that's not a good reason to teach that class.
1: <laughs> and I like, these, yeah. I like these guys, yeah. but I'm also like, that's just not good. <laughs> so i got to oh. answer that question if I'm going to retool it again. Yeah, so. no, that's fair. Like, I, I think a lot about how, and I mean, for us, a lot of our classes are, you know, sort of like, I mean they're designed by by the faculty, but then like you have to have the same syllabus and the same texts and everything and oh yeah 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 there's a real, like structuring like overstructuring to a lot of it and i I sometimes look at the books and i'm like i don't I don't want to teach this book because i don't i don't I don't get why like I, I, this is not the the best or whatever it is and mm-hmm. I'm often sort of struck figuring out like how am I going to work within these kinds of things when i like I really want to be doing x y z like i I really just want them to read confessions but like Instead, they're going to have, like, there's a chapter in a book about confessions that they're going to...
2: Yeah. I was having a conversation so, this morning, actually, with Julie Rubio, and we were talking about books and how to use books in the classroom. And I think, like, definitely when I was earlier in my career, you, like, you look books to help provide you structure in the class mm-hmm. and give you sort of directions. But as you go, you're, you've got the structure, and you're, like all right, what can I use to fit into this kind of yeah. piece? And I f- was just looking at the books. Like I just, my books are more helter-skelter these days, but it's because I want this piece and that piece because I, I've got the structure that I'm yeah. trying to sort of communicate and I know how to move us to this direction, but I need some of these sort of tools where I think earlier on, I was like, what, what's the book structure? And that's how I sort yeah. of do. And, and I, that was, I think, just a maturing on sort of my part. Yeah, and I so. was doing
1: our, our Catholic social teaching class this last spring, mm-hmm. And, I'm terrible at that course, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not great at it, but <laughs> but I, I I had this great insight this time because it's the second time I taught it, but the first time was like two, like two students, so it wasn't that big, and I had like ten this time, and they were a good they were a good group, oh, yeah. and we had two textbooks, which both of which are fine, like they're not bad textbooks, but like one is from the mid '90s, uh-huh. and and it, it's great for the mid '90s, but like it's before the the students were born, and and I as I, I like halfway through the semester, I realized like. I really just want to give you a new article every class, and we'll just do yeah. that right and and the kind of manufacturing it that way and i and I would love it if I could not figure out what all those are before the semester started, and just I will let you know yeah
2: so well and that, the what happened to me with the Catholic social teaching is that you get that pattern of like the state what you come out of grad school with like the story is. Rerum Navarro, mm-hmm. and then 50 years later, and 100 years later, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you get, like, your the, my friend called, like, the death march with encyclicals, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, as an academic, you're pretty, it's pretty fascinating to see how these points, but they're, like, I, I who cares? Like, yeah, and, and so so I'd never been able to do that survey course, and that's actually what I did, is i broken it down, and so I do, like, the God, Work, Money course, which is, like, economics, why this is important, the marriage course has, like, Catholic social teaching in it, and I do, like, a religion and politics course, and we'd have, like, a justice and peace course to try to just sort of pull those pieces apart mm-hmm. and do it that way because then then I could say, like, this is why this – I back-engineered it. Like, this is why this is important. And, oh, yeah, there's some Catholic social teaching mm-hmm. that's relevant here. Yeah.
1: But, that's good.
2: But, yeah, just different ways in which you sort of figure yeah. out frame yeah. that. Yeah.
1: And I I think – I mean, part of it, I'm just bristling because of a lack of flexibility that's, you know, institution-specific. Yeah, but, yeah that's, yeah, that's but, tough, yeah. Yeah, but I, I think I it's also sort of like – I think sometimes with textbooks like it's super helpful for the student to have a resource if they need the structure. Yes. And I want that to be available. But I, I, I think it's also – it ends up a lot of times just being kind of artificial. Yeah. And and the other side of that is, like, I don't want to sign a book and be like, we're just going to not read half of it because those, <laughs> those chapters yeah. aren't great. These five chapters are amazing. Like, you should read them. But now you're going to spend 30 bucks on a book and only use half of it. And, yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well,
2: there, there, there's this sort of assumption that I think standardization means sort of quality, and I'm like, mm, like maybe at like the early like if you're McDonald's, right, you want some standardizing mm-hmm. of those pieces. But there's a kind of w- w- teaches a craft and says you get better at it. Like you have a better sense of like how this structure
1: needs to sort of flow. Yeah. So and how and how like uh, like the strengths that you have are different from the strengths, yeah. that, You know, someone else has when and- we
2: designed, When I first got to St. Vincent's, it was just me, and it was a, a long story for that. We were growing the department, but I'd just been sort of hired and and uh, I had this student that came through and got a minor and had taken me for six classes and I'm like <laughs> oh god we just cannot it cannot be what your theology is and so one of the things we did is we, as we added faculty we us. We it's like the backbone of the sequence and it's four course sequence and so mm-hmm. we try to make sure different people teach those courses so you're mm-hmm. forced to encounter everybody else but then the other value the diversity of the faculty is then like some students love what I'm doing and mm-hmm. they, I'm like they're like, talk we're joke we're playing around and other students are like that's terrifying i'm never mm-hmm. doing it and so like other ones like patty my chair like she's very good at, at, at facilitating gentle discussions has a much slower deliberate pace a clearer structure to the course she gives these wonderful lectures and some students just love this because right this is this they can that's how they think mm-hmm. and it, it, as i was a student that's the kind of class i would like i would yeah. probably hate my own class but
1: <laughs> <laughs> i do i i sometimes will tell students that like when i was in college i didn't talk yeah, I, 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 I was I silent that. in discussion classes. And I even remember this class on Dante. It was one of my favorite classes. I loved it. I ate it up. And I said, I said like nothing yeah. until I think it was the last week. And I more or less got compelled by the professor to talk. And it was terrifying, and I and I remember what I said, and it was not all that illuminating. Yeah, but it's like, uh, so now like I, I, now I just force students to talk all the time. So I was like, look, like I was quiet too. Yeah,
2: but. Well, and I tell them that I'm like, you will remember more of what you say than what I say. Yeah, so say a lot. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, I got to grad school, and I was. Yeah, I'd never talked in college. Mm-hmm. Math majors not allowed them to talk either. So I got into my first grad school <laughs> class, and everybody started talking. I'm just sitting in the corner like, this is fantastic, awesome. And I remember uh, it was actually Joe Kamanczak and uh, Pavel Komanchek and he's he like, can I see you after class? And I'm like, uh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> First-year grad student, he's like, are you okay? <laughs> and I'm like –
1: yeah
2: <laughs> like, you understand stuff like yeah
1: yeah i love this stuff <laughs> because you need to talk <laughs> like
2: okay good. Right, that's good yeah <laughs> to let me know early <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> so as we we start to wrap up i i like to finish with uh, some less serious questions so i have five of these uh the first one is one that i i have recently shamelessly stolen from another podcast that is about writing and i, I like the question a lot what is the best thing that you have read lately
2: Oh, that I've read lately. Book,
1: article, magazine article, news, whatever. But mm. could be a clever tweet, I guess. But you know, maybe something more substantive. <laughs> I, I don't know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'll do. I'll do two: one online and one one actual text. Uh, I I took a picture on of my son. Watching someone play a video game on YouTube, <laughs> so he had the Xbox going, YouTube running on the Xbox on the TV. He was watching. I took a picture and posted it on Facebook, <laughs> and I'm like, "How many like how many levels of mediation do we have here?" And uh, uh, Catherine Schmidt, who's who is uh, I'm friends with on Facebook, like took a screenshot of it and posted it up because there's one more. <laughs> i just thought that was so clever about how she like i was like because you can't i didn't think there's no way you can make this anymore sort of compounded it so so i thought that was just like both like really funny but also clever in how you start to think about sort of the like how how sort of media works so that was one the other one is i just I, i i don't know why it's sticking with me there's this article on it was in like catholic historical review and it was on catholic colleges and it was on actually catholic women's colleges and that so in the 1960s, so, like, all of these schools are in duress, Catholic schools in duress, and so what a lot of them did was went co-ed, and when they went co-ed, they basically siphoned off all of these women's colleges, mm. and so, like, 50% of women's colleges closed, and that that's sad in and of itself. What happens then is that the ones that are left have to change their mission. They weren't, like, raising Catholic women. They, were, they switched their mission to basically, like, social outreach to the marginalized. We're taking all these vulnerable populations that are mm-hmm. around them, and then— What got me thinking, because I was in the midst of doing the uh, faith, it was the, from, the, from the Faith with Benefits book, when I was looking at that article, I'm like, well, these are all the schools that are claimed not to be Catholic because they're reaching these marginal populations. And yet they're, so they're, they had to shift their mission because all these Catholic places told all of their students. Mm. And then now they're punished as not being Catholic enough because they've shifted their mission to sort of social justice. And so it's <laughs> like, it's like sucks, man. Yeah, <laughs> And so, whammy. Uh, yeah. And Seton Hill is right across from us. And that's one of the places that it sort of ha- hmm. I, it has that, that kind of history to it as well. So just trying to think about like, all those social situations. And then you get like punished for these decisions that you, that were out of your control and Mm -hmm. you responded to in an authentic way. And yet you get sort of blamed for this? Yeah. (laughs) That's interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Number two, I know you to be a sci-fi fan. So what sci-fi universe would you most like to live in? Oh, that's a good one because that's a
2: not. It's different from which one do you like the most?
1: Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. Actually, be a citizen. Yeah, of. yeah, yeah. I had this. This is not my answer, but I had this discussion too. Like, you, you like watching the original Star Trek, but mm-hmm. you don't want to be on Kirk's ship. Like, no. <laughs> you, 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 next generation's all save. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I if I could be a Jedi, I'd definitely be in the Star Wars mm-hmm. universe. Like those, like the swords and the knights and and the powers. Like that's that's probably sort of it. Uh, Bar that. I mean, the other thing about Star Wars, right, it's optimistic. It's like a space opera in many sort of ways. And so many of the ones that come out now are are, are dystopic. Like, they're really like, whoa, those mm-hmm. are, it's awesome and cool and wonderful. But, like, I don't want to live in a war-torn space battle.
1: <laughs> 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 oh,
2: man. Man, that's, that, that's, that is a hard one. You have to be sci-fi. Could you go superhero? Sure. Yeah. Does that make it easier or harder? (laughs) You know, it depends on who you you are, right? Like, (laughs) being, like, an Iron Man or Spider-Man? Yeah. That that would be pretty freaking cool. Yeah. um, Like, it's great if you're Tony Stark. Yeah, it's it's great. And it it sort of sucks (laughs) if you're, like,
0: Joe. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah. So, I, yeah. Apart from those, I, anyone that I could like travel to other planets, I guess that okay. would be. So there's uh, the Expanse series. It's a little bit sort of war mm-hmm. torn, but this idea of like being in a ship with a crew of people that you like and doing great things, like that's probably sort of it. It's, yeah. So it's like for me personally, like without the superpowers or the Jedi powers, yeah, it'd have to be something like a Star Trek kind of. Yeah. Like I'm adventuring with people that are really fun to be with. Mm-hmm. So I imagine it like a, my college friends. Yeah. A spaceship. Just go wherever. It's like yeah, road, yeah. Road trip.
1: That's what I want. <laughs> nice. All right. I like it. So, number three. What is your favorite or your least favorite liturgical song? My favorite or least favorite. Either one. Favorite
2: and um, I mean, you can do both, but you can do one or the other. Yeah. Oh. Come dance in the forest. Come play in the fields. Sing, sing to the glory. Favorite or least favorite? Least favorite. Okay. Least favorite. I can't. I have this. I, it's just like this image. Well, part of it was like, you know, a group in the 70s and we had this small like church and it went, it's, we're French Catholics, which means like everyone talks about the Irish Catholics, blue collar Catholics and the French Catholics are like, we're all like professionals we're upper middle class kind of folks and mm, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so like we were mission territory in Kentucky. So like we were like the upper crust of this little small Appalachian town. And very, like, it's ritual. We do ritual well. And so we, that song was sung, and this, we had, we had lots of, liturgical dance was always done to that song. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of upper-class white folks in Appalachia doing liturgical dance is just horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Fair not, enough. Not part of our culture. So yeah. <laughs> All right. So come dance in the forest. Come play in the fields. <laughs> I think, no, no, please uh, do not do that.
1: <laughs> uh, number four. Of whom or what would you be the patron saint? Oh. Like, who, who would I want to be? Yeah. It's aspirational. Yeah, I, yeah, know. yeah. Aspirational, yeah.
2: yeah, it's Science fiction. Yeah, is it, right. This is the thing that I love, and I just want to hold it up as something, like, <laughs> you should be reading. Is, of is, the nerds? Yeah, the nerds, yeah. yeah uh, the nerd, the sci-fi nerds, because there's different kinds of That's nerds. True. There's That's different right. kinds of nerds, but, like, the sci-fi nerds, <laughs> like, yeah, I guess I, I have this... I always do this, I, when I do the Genesis story, and I'm trying to talk about creation stories and how, you, how they just sort of orient you in the world, and this is sort of their point, and then I, uh, you know, we do a little comparison to the new Milish, and then I'm like, it, but it's like the Klingon story, like the, <laughs> have you, the Klingon story of the gods, like, the dwarf has this great line where he's like, they're like, do you have gods? He goes, yes, we used to have gods. They were such a pain that we went up to Stobocor and killed them all <laughs> Like, that's a great story. And it's about, like, how, like, your relationship with the gods. It's very different than Genesis. And I get, like, always get, like, one person that's like, oh, yeah, that's great. And everyone else is like, that's why I want to be for that one person.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that, that, that's what I would be.
1: Um, last one. Yeah. Should someday in the future, through some, you know, uh, miracle, you be elected pope, what would your pope name be?
0: Oh
2: that's a great
1: question you don't have to know the number I mean if you're, you're yeah
2: like, yeah and you could pick you could pick it, sort of anyone you yeah I was trying to pick like who could you it have to be like uh, you know, Pope Luke Day okay Luke Skywalker and yeah. Dorothy Day <laughs> <laughs> the, the idea of like working making the world sort of better mm-hmm. and the idea of the world being awesome <laughs> Probably be the first, yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. I mean, there might be a, you might eventually be the first one. There's some yeah. more, but yeah. 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 They probably think like Luke as in um, like Luke as the gospel evangelist. Yeah. But yeah, I can fudge it that way. I I know a few people where their confirmation name is Luke. Yeah. It is. Yeah, my youngest son's named Benjamin, and and we were my wife and I were discussing this. I I was like, we should we should go to sort of Benjamin. She's like, that's fine. You promise me, that's fine as long as you promise me he's not named after Ben Kenobi. <laughs> I'm like, it's not solely named after Ben Kenobi. It's a both end. Yeah, it's a, a both end. Yeah, <laughs> for these other reasons about Benjamin, the youngest of the, the sons of Abraham. But it's also about Ben Kenobi. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank, thank,
2: thank you for uh, having me. This is yeah. wonderful. Yeah.
1: The Daily Theology Podcast is produced by weekly by dailytheology.org. Daily Theology is a Catholic blog that pursues faith-seeking understanding in everyday life. You can find us online at dailytheology.org, on Facebook at Daily Theology, or on Twitter at DailyTheo.